Hello and welcome to another edition of Bear Books Podcast. I'm April Berry. And I'm Daisy Ray. And it is my favourite flash fiction. I love our stories. We have got three stories for you today. We are kicking off with a story written and read by Jackie J. Then a story that I wrote for this. And April will bring up the rear, last but not least. And three very different stories. It's going to be magnificent. It is. I'm looking forward to it. So let's get on with the story. So this one is uh, Jackie J. And the title is... Flowers of the Field. The men had worked hard all day with only a quick break for sandwiches when the sun was at its highest. Thankfully, there was a standpipe where they could slake their thirst. The money wasn't much, but when you're sleeping on the streets, you're grateful for anything. The old guy who had approached them early in the morning had chosen the four strongest-looking men in the group sleeping under the bridge. Fence building, that's all, he had said, not hiding his distaste at their reduced circumstances. Lunch provided, cash in hand at the end of the day. So here they were, rebuilding the fence that encircled a small airfield with just a small hangar, a windsock hanging limply from a pole, weeds beginning to poke through the concrete of the runway. The old guy left them to it, saying he'd be back at the end of the day to drive them back to the city. Make sure you do a good job of it, he'd said. I'm not paying for a job half done. The argument started in the late afternoon. Jack, a belligerent Irishman, suffering from the heat and alcohol withdrawal, accused Larry of not pulling his weight. Larry was slightly built compared to the other man, but he was no coward and had a quick temper of his own, so he raised his fists. The fight was short and bloody, leaving Harry unconscious on the ground. Got anything to say? demanded Jack, glaring at the others. Nothing to do with me, muttered one of them, and the three men bent to the task of finishing up the day's work, fitting the gate that had been leaning up against the hangar. Larry hadn't stared when the rattle of a pickup truck announced the arrival of their lift back to the city. Jack walked across to where Larry lay, still unconscious, and rolled him into a patch of long grass. Where's your mate? asked the old guy. Couldn't take the pace, shrugged Jack. Cleared off a while back. A few minutes later, the men were aboard the truck. The gate was locked behind them and the sound of the vehicle faded into the distance. It was twilight before Larry opened his eyes. Groaning as he moved his limbs gingerly, checking that nothing was broken. Bastards, he hissed, as he got painfully to his feet. Realising the other men had gone, leaving him in the now securely locked airfield. At the standpipe, he sluiced blood and mud from his face and hands before slumping back against the wall of the hangar. He supposed he'd slept in worse places and at least the weather was mild. Come morning when he felt a bit better, he'd break a hole in the fence and hitchhike back into the city. Reaching painfully towards the back pocket of his jeans, he extracted the remains of a spliff and a big lighter. Lighting up, he inhaled deeply, 
hoping for some relief from his pain. Eyes half closed, he didn't notice the small stream of water still escaping from the standpipe and seeping across the hard, mud-baked ground. For a while, Larry slept, the spliff dropping from his nerveless fingers. He dreamt of flowers pushing their way through the mud, a mass of strange shapes and colours. Once he thought he woke up to see that flowers had indeed bloomed in the dry earth, before realising it was part of his dream. Night had fallen, the sky inky black and starless, when he forced open his gritty eyes. An onslaught of colour, pinks, yellows, greens, blues, violets, assaulted his senses, each one thrumming with a deep sound that seemed to come up from the very ground. And the smell, the overwhelming sweetness of decay, filling his nostrils and making him gag. He shouted aloud, his throat tight, the sound hoarse and filled with fear. Unable to deal with the spectacle, he threw himself face down on the ground, hands clawing at the earth. Like the throwing of a switch, silence descended on the airfield. Larry scrambled to his knees and remained there, open-mouthed, as his brain struggled to take in the scene before him. Neither flowers nor the excruciating colour explosion now confronted him. Instead, crowds of people clustered in groups filled the airfield, all carrying suitcases and watching the skies anxiously. Then, one by one, they came. Cessnas, biplanes, all manner of small aircraft, unseen in the darkness until they touched down on the airfield loaded up with as many people as they could carry, and then took off again. Larry could see mouths moving, the pilots hurrying their passengers along, frightened children crying and being hushed by their parents. But there was no sound, only a silence so dense and oppressive he could feel its weight on his shoulders. Something drew his eyes upwards towards a larger plane as it swooped towards the airfield, Black swastikas clearly visible on its sides. Terror gave strength to his legs and involuntarily he sprang to his feet, running into the crowd and screaming, No, no, please God, no. But twin guns were already strafing the airfield, the staccato sound shattering the eerie silence. He could feel blood running from his ears and nose, but still he ran, reaching for women and children, who were dissolving before his eyes. The last thing he saw before he lost consciousness was a wisp of pink and yellow colour that faded even as his hand touched it. The morning dawned cloudless, the temperatures already climbing into the 60s. Larry rolled over and sat up, rubbing the sleep from his eyes and stumbled to the standpipe, drinking deeply of the cold water, while fragments of his nightmare came back into his mind. Holy shit, he mumbled. Better lay off the weed if that's what it does to me. Lifting a hand to smooth back his hair, a cold finger of fear ran through his body as two petals, one pink, one yellow, fluttered to the ground. question 
Were you high when you wrote it? No. <laughs> I'm I'm limited to a double gin a night now. <laughs> Except for the ones she doesn't know about, of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, she'll know now. <laughs> there was something in my mind, another story. I could only half remember it, but it was something about a dream that wasn't a dream, was reality. Yeah. And then the picture, the only thing I got of the picture was, was the, the people in the suitcases and the, the color, the colors and the people and the suitcases. So that's what became the center eye. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense. I had to look up the aeroplanes. Couldn't, couldn't, I couldn't remember what aeroplanes there would have been in World War II. That's research, though, isn't it? Would have, been, would have been World War One Cessnas and biplanes. I think it would. You're asking the wrong people. Yeah. Uh, thought April might know. Well, yeah. Why do you think you write so dark? I write dark because, and that would be a question for an interview, I write dark because I didn't have a good young life, okay? I didn't have a good middle life. And... I have very dark things in the past and I deal with it most of the time and you know that feeling yourself. But when I sit down to write, I can't do happy clappy. I just can't do it. Yeah. It's not in me. The nearest I got was pocket full of stars and that was sad. Mm, it was. The only, I've written one book that's not grim and that's Albert Garden and that's Cody. Everything else, I mean, the Irish ones, they're true to history, so that's 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 a different thing, really. So for everybody listening today, we will be inviting Jackie J onto the podcast for season eight, so you've got that to look forward to. <laughs> if I hadn't been summoned to do this, I would have got another thousand words down tonight. What do you mean, summoned? <laughs> <laughs> All the guests on our podcast are not summoned. <laughs> you make us sound like tyrants. She is a tyrant. Apple doesn't fall far. No, I know. I know she's a tyrant, yeah. I, I shake every time I get on Zoom. Whatever. <laughs> I do like getting to know our authors a bit and, and getting some of their thoughts behind some of the, the stories and you know, what inspires them and what motivates them and moves them on. For sure. What motivates you and moves you on then to write stories? Well, mine's not exactly a walk in the park either, if I'm honest. <laughs> so I do apologise in advance. I'm not really lightening the mood. Only oh, yours is another one of them dark ones. You're not killing off Santa again, are you? It's the wrong time of year to be killing off Santa. Behave yourself as if I would. So what's it called? Poison was the cure. Sounds light-hearted, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, let's listen to it, shall we? I'd like to tell you about my good friend and neighbour, Olive. She was a little older than I am, and she was my inspiration. She was the glue that held our neighbourhood together. If anyone had a problem, they sought advice from Olive knowing she was a font of wisdom. She would talk you up if you needed that, talk you down if you were struggling to be here. She gave pragmatic advice and was always honest and warm with her words. We all counted on Olive and we were a better community because of her. 
We had a street party when Queen Elizabeth passed to celebrate her life and give her the best send-off we could, as the only monarch we'd ever known in our lifetime. Olive was the one who went door-to-door organising the entire thing. She was awesome with a list. She knew who was supplying the tables and chairs and all the tablecloths. She talked Elsie into baking cakes and Alfred into getting a couple of mates together to move those tables and chairs from everyone's houses. Johnny from number 24 made bunting to thread between the lampposts and somehow she even talked grumpy old Granny Wire into loaning us her gramophone for some authentic entertainment. Olive's husband Lenny was a real smiler and always took the time to tip a wink at the ladies and shake a chap's hand on his way to and from the bookies on his daily trip to Chance's arm. One of these days, his big win would come in and he would whisk his girl away to retire early in the Spanish sunshine. That's the dream. And he loved to wax lyrical with anyone who would stop still long enough to listen. I've heard the story at least a dozen times, but I didn't mind. I nodded and smiled and thought about how lucky Olive was. Things changed a little this past month or two. When I say things changed, I mean Olive. Olive changed. She went from wearing her usual 50s-style dresses to slacks and a turtleneck. A turtleneck? Seriously. I'd have put money on her not even owning such a thing. Then one day I was in town and caught sight of Olive in one of the charity shops on the high street. She was trying on a jacket, a man's suit jacket. I thought it was a bit odd, so I hung back and didn't disturb her. She looked sad and I didn't want to intrude. It did worry me though. Deep in thought, I made my way home and was in the kitchen putting my shopping away when I saw Olive get home too. She stashed her shopping in the outhouse. And as she walked in her back door, she took her sunglasses off and I swear I saw she had a black eye. If I could see it from my kitchen, then it must have been a right doozy. And that got me thinking. The turtlenecks, the long sleeves. Was she hiding herself? Did she have more than just a black eye? Bloody hell, she must have had some accident. My brain went into overdrive and I couldn't just leave it. She's my friend. I had to do something. So I took myself next door to see what I could do to help. As I raised my arm to knock on her door, I saw through the window that she was shoving clothes and toiletries into a tartan suitcase. I tapped gently on the glass and the look of fear that came over her face sent the fear of God through me and the penny dropped. She must have thought I was Lenny coming home. She was scared of Lenny. Smiling, affable, everybody's mate, Lenny. What the hell? I can't tell you everything we talked about that day because I promised never to tell a soul and that includes you. I also promised to help her, help her blend in, help her become invisible, help her vanish like a magician's assistant. One morning, two or three weeks ago, I did exactly that. I sat at the terminal gates watching planes land from far off places watching planes load up with holidaygoers and businessmen excited to take off and vanish into the clouds. I watched my friend walk into a line of men in suits and vanish like she'd never been. There are friends in your life that will help you bury the bodies, and there are friends that will help you fix the wrong in your life. And when neither of those is possible, there are friends that will help you buy a new identity and start a new life. It's been almost a month now since Lenny came banging on my door, worried sick he was, 
Olive hadn't come home from work and wasn't answering her phone. There was no note on the fridge and none of her friends had heard from her. Her clothes were a mess, her rucksack was missing and her favourite leopard print coat was gone. He drove the streets for days looking for her. He'd recognise her anywhere if she had that coat on. He still hasn't found her. And the neighbours are rallying around, keeping his work shirts ironed, taking him a cooked dinner here and there to try and keep his spirits up. It's so sad, watching him fading away without his olive. His heart is surely broken. He's a shadow of his former self. Revenge isn't best served cold, after all. It's best served warm in a hot pot cooked by the good ladies of the W.I. and the grumpy old granny wires hot toddies. Oh dear. <laughs> you always come up with some dark twist. I know. Don't mess with the ladies, Lenny. No, don't mess with the ladies. I do like your stories. I do like your style of writing as well. Um, Thank you. I always get a good chuckle. That's because that's your dark warp sense of humour then. Well, it is. Of course, it's my dark warp sense of humour, but I, they do always make me smile. And I do sometimes wonder what that says about me, but what it says about you, because it's in your imagination. And then I actually find it funny. Yeah, just don't cross me, right? <laughs> no. Have you thought about writing a nice romance with an happy ending? Don't be stupid. <laughs> You no. try, you know. <laughs> I don't think so, lovey. No. Well, now we've had my little bit of darkness. We are rounding off with a story from you, April. Introduce it. What's it called? It's just called The Journey. The Journey. Bring it on. The early morning sun cast a golden hue over the tarmac, as James stepped onto the airplane bridge. His tailored suit felt crisp against his skin and the weight of his laptop bag reminded him of the important presentation awaiting him at the other end of this journey. The flight attendants greeted him with practiced smiles, their uniforms impeccable. James settled in his seat and stowed his laptop bag underneath the seat in front. As the engines roared to life, he closed his eyes, envisioning the boardroom in New York. His company's future and hundreds of jobs hinged on him securing that merger. The plane taxied and James imagined the wheels lifting off the ground, carrying him away from Manchester, away from routine and towards opportunity. The cabin hummed with anticipation. James glanced out of the window, watching the city shrink below. The clouds embraced the plane, cocooning it in a cottony embrace. He marvelled at the miracle of flight the way metal wings defied gravity, connecting distant cities in mere hours. The in-flight Wi-Fi bust to life and James pulled up his presentation on his laptop. He needed every minute to fine-tune his pitch, though he would much rather have been watching the in-flight movie, maybe on his return home with a few glasses of complimentary wine, either to celebrate or drown his sorrows, he might get a chance to sing it. As the plane ascended, James lost himself in spreadsheets and bullet points. The flight attendants glided down the aisle, offering coffee and pastries. He declined, too focused on the numbers dancing across his screen. The turbulence jostled his laptop, but James clung to his seat, determined to conquer the financial Everest that awaited him. Beside him sat a woman with auburn hair, her eyes hidden behind oversized sunglasses. 
She typed furiously on her tablet, her fingers dancing like a concert pianist's. James wondered about her story. Another business traveller, perhaps, or a secret agent on a covert mission. He chuckled at his imagination, then returned to his presentation. Across the aisle, a man in a wrinkled shirt wrestled with a crossword puzzle. James peeked at the clues. Nine letters starts with A, meaning journey. He leaned over. Adventure, he whispered. The man grinned, grateful for the assist. James realised that even in the business world, connections formed at 30,000 feet. The captain's voice crackled over the intercom, announcing their descent into JFK. James saved his files, the weight of responsibility settling heavy on his shoulders. 1,500 jobs and livelihoods depended on the outcome of this presentation, a massive responsibility for him to carry. The woman with auburn hair glanced at him, her sunglasses now perched atop her head. Good luck, she said, her voice surprisingly warm. James nodded, grateful for the silent camaraderie. The skyline emerged a forest of glass and steel. James imagined the boardroom, the executives waiting for his pitch. The plane touched down and he powered off his laptop. As the passengers filed out, he caught sight of the crossword man. Thanks again, the man said, shaking James's hand. You made my day. James stepped into the terminal, the air thick with anticipation and also possibilities. He called a taxi, the city's rhythm seeping into his bones. The merger waiting for him, James looked out of the taxi window. He looked at the hustle and bustle of the New York streets and took inspiration from the buzz and hum of life in the Big Apple. His mind full of the upcoming presentation where he appeared like a delicate dance of numbers, promises, planning and development. As he rode towards Manhattan, a sudden realisation hit him that the journey mattered as much as the destination. The woman with the auburn hair, the crossword man, they were part of his story now. In the boardroom, James delivered his pitch. The executives leaned forward, their eyes assessing. He spoke of growth, synergy and shared dreams. And as he clicked through slides, he remembered the skies, the fellow travellers and the unspoken bonds formed above the clouds. And he realised that the journey can sometimes hold more treasures than the destination. Thank you for that. It's very different for you. I think, you know, because last week we read Richard's book and it was a bit of a character study. I think you've written a bit of a character study. I think it's stuck in your head. All your story is about one journey in that aeroplane. But did 1,500 people get to keep their jobs? Did he win his pitch or did he lose it? Was he on the plane home drowning his sorrows? I'm not going to tell you. Why? Because I'm not. I've got no idea. (laughs) But I want to know. It might have been a bit of subliminal osmosis or whatever word you want to use. There's a possibility. Yeah, in that frame of mind, could have been. But you wanted me to write about leaving on a jet plane and I I did, and you have. So I will give you that. Thank you very much. So next week, we'll be back to discuss the penultimate book of the season, And it's won by Alfred O'Neill. Even a pandemic can't stop love and murder. I want to know how anybody could murder anybody in a pandemic. Nobody's allowed to go out. I bet it was people murdering the the spouses and the partners and the children and the grannies and that kind of thing. From what I've read so far, 
it's got a lot to do with Iraq and foreign climbs oh, and right. COVID-22. COVID-22? Is that a mm-hmm. thing? It is in this book. Oh, right, okay. It may Interesting. have been. The, well, what did we have a COVID-22? Because we did have new strains coming out where they reinstated lockdown. No, I just thought it went carried on from 2020 to even now, because I'm still in lockdown, if anybody asks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep story, this. Right from the very beginning, you've got love, intrigue, death, bullets. Okay. It's very full on. It grips you right from the off. Does it? Don't tell me too much because I'm going to start reading it tomorrow. Okay, I won't. But we'll have a chat about it on the next episode for sure. We will. So it's just me and you let loose. I love it when we get let loose. (laughs) I do too. It's brilliant, isn't it? Right, let's put ourselves back in our little boxes then until next week. Yeah, take care of each other until then. Yes, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to send in your flash fiction submissions, you just need to email us at beerbookspod1 at gmail.com. And now that you're part of the Beer Books family, why not share us with all the bookworms and creatives in your life? <laughs>